Yours is the name high above any other. Yours is the kingdom forever you reign. And yours is the power that lifted us out of the grave. as we come together as brothers and sisters, as God's children, to praise his holy name. Let's continue in worship together.
to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to each of us.
As we uh, turn to some moments of prayer today, I'm going to we're going to do prayer a little bit differently. I'm going to prompt us about things to pray, and we'll take a few seconds of silence to offer our own prayers about uh, the various things that uh, are on our minds and our hearts and the things that, that uh, are happening in our world as well as in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful as we come today for Jesus. You poured out your love for us. So in this moment, hear our words of thanksgiving and gratitude for what you've done. Father, we represent a whole variety of problems and struggles. There are financial struggles, relational struggles, physical struggles, spiritual struggles, emotional struggles. They come to us in a variety of ways as human beings. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for your help, for your healing, for your grace. Father, hear our prayers for the Forestville Wesleyan Church and Pastor Bruce Ellis. Father, we want to pray for those who have been affected by the hurricane. In the Gulf Coast, for those who are being affected by Hurricane Irma and the ongoing destruction and devastation and loss and pain, we join our hearts in this moment to pray for the people who are most affected. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face opposition, persecution for their faith in you. We think especially of the Christians in Indonesia who, who face difficult circumstances. Here are our prayers for them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for answering in the way that you know is best. Thank you for all the ways you are at work that we see and we don't see. And we declare today that we believe you are good and merciful. And it is a joy and it is a privilege to place 
all of our concerns into your hands because we know who you are. We offer our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Scripture this morning comes from Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deiblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day... I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Loruhama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means, Not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made, for in you the fatherless find compassion. I will hear their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots, his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade, they will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more do I have to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. There are uh, just a few things I want to mention to you. There's a note in the bulletin that our small groups begin tonight. Love to have you be a part of a group if you're not already. They uh, meet at various times during the week. 
Uh, you can talk to me afterwards if you want uh, more information. You want to know when the groups meet and what they're doing. Most of the groups are doing a follow-up from the Sunday sermon. So it's a chance to go a little bit deeper and talk a little bit more about uh, things that uh, we talk about on Sunday morning. Also, a couple of inserts there. One about the nursery. Uh, this is the, the last day to sign up for nursery or tomorrow. Uh, the schedule is going to be made in the next few days. And so if you're interested in being working in the nursery and you haven't yet filled out a form, you can do that. And again, you can, there's a box in the back. You can give that to me or one of the pastors after the service. There's also an insert in here. It's pretty colorful. has red and has pictures of food on it, which is probably a bad thing to do about this time of the morning. But um, we want you to come to Potluck next Sunday. It's for college students college and grad students. We are hosting a potluck for you. And the point of it is just to sort of get to know each other a little better, have a chance to connect. You don't have to bring anything if you are a college or grad student, but it would help us to know how many people are coming. So you can fill this form out. Again, you can drop that in the back or hand it to me or one of the pastors after the service. We'll make sure that uh, we get that uh, counted. If you get here next week and you think, oh, I didn't sign up, but I want to come, come anyway. And if, you are, if you're a, uh, a year-round resident here, uh, it would help us just to know that you're coming and what food you're bringing so that uh, we have enough to feed everyone. So we hope you'll be a part of that next Sunday. Uh, after the, you know, like if you're at this service, there'll be games and things at 11, and after the 11 o'clock service, we'll, we'll go ahead and eat. Let me uh, invite you to take a moment, stand, greet one another here in worship today. Relationships are some of the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. One of the greatest things about life. It's also one of the most frustrating and difficult things about life. If you're in a relationship, it really doesn't matter what relationship you're in. It doesn't have to be a dating relationship, your family, your friends. There are times where you give thanks for that relationship and you celebrate that relationship. And there are times when you have other thoughts about that relationship. It's life. We all wrestle with that. It is, it is relationship that's at the heart of the book of Hosea. Relationships, it's a relationship between God and his people in the same way it's a relationship between God and us. Because our relationships are not just human to human. They are human to divine and vice versa. And life is defined, Scripture tells us, by our relationship with our Creator. It is the message from the beginning of Scripture to the end that life is defined by our relationship with God. And a lot of that has to do with our view of God. How do we view God? What do we think about God when God comes to our minds? 
when, when we process who is this God that we talk about and worship. The minor prophets, all 12 of them, are addressing in one way or another who God is. And Hosea, the first one, the beginning one, that starts the rest of it going, is about relationship. It's about a struggling relationship. It's about the kind of relationship in which the people, two people have stood at, at an altar of the church. And, and God has said to Israel, I pledge myself to you. And Israel says to God, I pledge myself to you. And they create this marriage covenant together. The problem is, within days, weeks, Israel has decided they're already tired of Yahweh. And they're going to go do other things. And when we come to the book of Hosea, we find that Israel is, though life in Israel is prosperous, Things are going pretty well for people. Their relationship with Yahweh is a mess. The covenant has been broken. They have rejected God. It's hard to put into one 20-minute sermon this whole 14 chapters of the book of Hosea. We read the beginning, we read the end. There are 12 chapters in between there. There's a lot that goes on. And so we're going to try to just give a quick overview of things. But it, it really comes down to what, what God says in, in chapter 8, verse 1, where he says the problem is they have rejected my covenant. They have rejected me as their husband, as this, in this marriage relationship. They don't want me anymore. We sometimes think that the problem and, and that what God wants from us is obedience. And God does want obedience. But the real issue is God wants relationship. God didn't say to himself, I'm going to create these people so they will obey me. He said, I want to create these people so we can be in relationship together. So that I can love them and they can know that love and they can love me back and we can have this mutual relationship of love. That's why God created us. And that is God's intent for us. And that's how flourishing takes place when we know that relationship. But when we reject the covenant, when we reject God and the relationship with God, everything begins to spiral. For Israel, it's idolatry. That, that's their problem. They, they, they want to worship other gods. We tend to look at idolatry as kind of weird. Right? I mean, I don't know of any of us who take a piece of wood and carve it into the shape of, of some image and then put it into our living room and every day bow down to it. Now, there are cultures of the world where that happens. But, you know, we don't have to worry about that. That's not, you know, we, we're followers of Jesus. We don't bow down and worship idols. And we treat what Israel does sort of in a condescending spirit. If they were just a little more like us, they wouldn't fall for that. It's the same way we have a tendency to look at people who have other political views than we do or other ideologies or other theological perspectives. Sometimes people of other cultures. If they could just see things like us, if they could just be like us, then 
they wouldn't have these problems. But the reality is, idolatry is not just something that Israel wrestles with. We wrestle with it too. We idolize anything. It is taking a gift of God. It is twisting it. It is turning it. It is making that the center of our lives. And that can be a family member, a child, a parent, a spouse. It can be a friendship. It can be accomplishing things. It can be success. It can be fame. It can be anything. Anything that's more important to us than God is. And in essence, we are saying to God, I, I, I like you, you're nice, but I don't really want that kind of relationship with you. What we don't realize is that hurts God deeply. I don't think we, I don't think we have a tendency to think that God gets hurt. You know, we get hurt. I remember in, I was in junior high. I had one of my best friend and I, we were together all the time, and we had planned some, some event, some outing. And, uh, but a, a day or so before, some high school guys from church invited me to do something with them. Well, my friend, or go out with the high school cool kids, they were football players. Yeah, I'm going to go with them. And I ditched my friend. And I could see the hurt in his eyes when I told him that. And I've had that happen to me as well. You've probably had it happen to you. You've probably done it to someone else. We don't think of God being hurt by our rejection of him. But he is. God is not an an emotionless robot. But we tend to think of God as just sort of some some ethereal being who who just sort of exists. But he doesn't really have any, any real emotion. But if you read the scriptures especially the Old Testament, over and over and over again, it tells us of God's emotion. The whole gamut of emotions, just like we have. And I think God is hurt. Ezekiel the prophet says to the peeps, God says to the people, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you have some trouble. I'm let you go through difficult things. And maybe when you're going through that, you'll realize how much your unfaithfulness hurt me. We hurt God. Sometimes we, we see God as, uh, our primary image of God is a judge. And judges are supposed to be emotionless. In fact, judges can get in trouble. They get too emotionally involved in a case. They're supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to be outside of the case. They're supposed to not, not have relationship with the, with the people involved. They just sit back. They listen to what happens. They watch what happens. And then they make a ruling. And we tend to see God primarily that way. Now, is God a judge? Yes, he is. But Scripture tells us, and Hosea certainly tells us, that the number one image of God is relational. It is a husband and a father. And husbands and fathers get involved. And they feel emotions. And like us, when we get hurt, we respond to that. We react to that. And God's reaction to Israel when they reject his covenant is to say, Okay, if you want to live your life without me, you can. He comes back in a little while and says, So how's that working out for you? Not so well. But he says, fine, you, you can, I'll, let you, I'll let you live life without me and see how you like it. 
And so in that first chapter, when Gomer and, and Hosea get married and Gomer has a child, the name of the first child is not loved. And God says, I'm not going to show love to Israel. I'm going to back off. And the second child, not my people. He says, look, if you don't want to be my people, you don't have to be. If you want to live your life on your own and not be my people, then you cannot be my people. And he lets them go. But here's the thing about God. He can't leave it at that. He just can't leave it. And so what we find written over and over again in Hosea is God pursuing his people. Pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. Again and again and again. God keeps pursuing his people. Dennis Kinlaw says that, that God is a passionate lover. We don't often think of God as a passionate lover, do we? God is a passionate lover. He says, if you read the Old Testament with any carefulness at all, you will see that. And God has fallen in love with Israel. And he will do anything and everything to be in relationship with them. And God has fallen in love with us. And he will do anything and everything to be in relationship with us. And so in chapter 11... God is lamenting his people, rejecting him. He says, they've turned from me. They don't want me. I'm, gonna, I'm done with them. I've had enough. I'm, I'm finished. I've wiped my hands of them. They're on their own. I, I can't do this anymore. And the very next breath, he says, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? And he looks at every one of us and he says, you're driving me crazy. You're killing me. You, you want your own? You want to be on your own? Okay. And the very next breath, he says, but how can I give you up? How can I let you go? I can't. He pursues us again and again and again. Hosea marries Gomer in chapter 1. They have children. In chapter 2, Gomer runs away. You know, the NIV sort of cleans up the thing a little bit. It says he marries a promiscuous woman. Most of the translations say he marries a prostitute. Which is in itself a shocking thing for God to tell a prophet to do. Now, this this prostitute whom he's married and had children with her, she's decided she doesn't want to be married to him anymore. And she runs off and she is unfaithful to him with all kinds of other people. And somehow she ends up in slavery. And God says to Hosea, go redeem her. You need to go get her. I imagine Hosea saying, God, she got what she deserved. I don't want to go do that. Do you realize how humiliating that's going to be for me to go and redeem my own wife? Everybody knows what she's done. Everybody's watched what she's done. It's bad enough that I have to live with that. Now, you want me to go and humiliate myself? You've got to remember, Hosea is a male in a patriarchal culture. All the power is with him. Males alone could give certificates of divorce to their wives. Wives had no ability to do that. So he has every right in the world to say, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to demean myself. I'm not going to humiliate myself and go and redeem her. She's getting what she deserves. I'm walking away from this. And God says, Hosea, go redeem her. It's not easy being a prophet sometimes. Some of the prophecies begin that God gave the old language as an oracle. One of the translations of that is God gave a burden to Hosea. It's a hard thing that God asks Hosea to do. But he does it. And there are people who don't think that they think this story of Hosea is allegorical. God would never ask one of his holy prophets to do what God is asking Hosea to do. And so they say, it must just be a fable, a story. But I don't think so. I think it's real. I think it's exactly what happens. Hosea gets up and goes and redeems her. Pays money for her. His own wife who has gotten herself into this situation by her unfaithfulness. And he brings her home. And the most shocking thing about that whole story is that God says, Hosea, I want you to go do this because I want you to be a symbol of what I do with Israel. What I do with my people. What he's really saying is that God is willing to humiliate himself. God is willing to humble himself, to become vulnerable in order to redeem us. When I think about that, when I think about how far God is willing to go to redeem us, when we've gotten ourselves into the mess, it's all our fault. We're the ones who rejected God. We're the ones who are idolaters. We're the ones who've been unfaithful. We're the ones who've gone our own way. We, all, we take all of the weight of everything we've done. It is all on us. And God says, I will humble myself. I'll become vulnerable. I will look weak in order to redeem you. And all I can think about is a cross outside of Jerusalem. Paul writes to the Romans and says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't clean ourselves up, redeem ourselves, and then God and Jesus comes and dies for us. We are redeemed because Jesus came and died for us. While we were yet sinners. This is our God. This is who God is. And all God asks of us is to return. The word return is used ten times in the book of Hosea. And that return is really to turn around. Someone was, we were talking, about, I was talking with someone about this this week and they said, you know, it's interesting because when you, when you turn around, you're, you're, really, you're really just making a half circle. And you imagine Gomer turning around And there stands Hosea with his arms open saying, come on, let's go home. What do you think would have been her her action if she turns around and he's not there? 
And God says to you and to me, just turn around. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to figure everything out. Just turn around. And to turn around is to want God. Even when we cannot do what God wants us to do, we want God. Even when we keep falling and falling and falling, the desire of our heart is that we want God. That's all he needs. And it went, the minute we turn, he is standing right there, arms open, ready to bring us home. And we know he will always be there because he never stops pursuing us. The book of Hosea is, a, is cyclical. It kind, of, it, it kind of drives me crazy because I like things to be linear. I like things to, to follow a straight line. And I think about that with, with our journey with Christ. We have a, a moment of, of surrendering our life to Christ. And I like to think that from that moment on, everything moves this way. But it doesn't. And I think one of the reasons the book of Hosea isn't linear, but it's cyclical, is because what you find is that Israel rejects the covenant, there are consequences, judgment, and then God redeems them. And then they reject the covenant, and there are consequences, and judgment, and God redeems them. And then they reject the covenant, and there are consequences, and judgment, and God redeems them. And it keeps happening over and over and over again. You think, I thought we were done with that. But the reality is, that's how relationships are. Relationships make progress, and then we run into walls. We struggle, and we back up a little bit. Hopefully we figure some things out and we move forward again. And then there's an argument. There's a disagreement. There's a misunderstanding. There's hurt. And we back up again. And hopefully we move forward. And then something happens again. And that's how it is. Relationships are like this. Hopefully the trajectory is going more up than down. But relationships are like that. And I think we need to remember, we need to understand that God understands that. We put so much pressure on ourselves that, that when we start, we have to be perfect. When all the while, God is simply asking us to keep wanting him. God never expects us to be perfect. He just wants us to keep wanting him. And as we keep wanting him, he will keep changing us. But even in the moments when we don't want him, God never stops pursuing us. Even in the moments when we reject him, God never stops pursuing us. And the book of Hosea tells us we simply cannot Outlive God's patience, God's forgiveness. When we struggle, the voice of the evil ones in our ears saying, Really? Again? You might as well just give up. You might as well quit. The voice in our ear is saying to us, You know, God does run out of patience. You do realize that, right? You, you've reached the end of it. 
But Hosea is telling us again and again that that's a lie. Our God never stops pursuing us, period. And he forgives us again and again and again and again and again. And we come to this table and the prophet Hosea is asking us to do exactly what this table is asking us to do. To confess our sins and to celebrate God's grace and mercy. To confess, to acknowledge that God is who he says he is. That we cannot live without him. We cannot know life as we were created to know without him. And we confess the fact that we have tried. And we've rejected him. And we lament our sins. But we give thanks. We celebrate the God of grace and mercy who forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives. Who never stops pursuing us. This is our God. And this is the God who loves you and loves me. And he wants us to flourish. He wants us to know the fullness of life that takes place only in relationship with him. And that's why he keeps pursuing us again and again and again. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand who you are we pray father that you will give us the grace to be honest with you about our sin our idolatry our rejection of you and to know your grace and mercy Father, we also pray for the people affected by the siren that's just gone off. We pray that your grace and mercy would be on them, upon them and those who are coming to the aid. Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We ask that it will be food for our souls. that we will once again understand anew your loving pursuit of us. We pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. 
receiving communion by the mode of intention this morning. So as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar is always open if you want to stay and pray. We also have bread and cups of trays in the back. If you would like to stay in your seat and be served there, just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and desire to, to know His love, even as you confess your sins and celebrate His grace and mercy, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. See you. 
the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.